it's amazing, man. Especially if you're an athlete, it's so difficult to remove the ego, so to speak, and you know, take care of ourselves and focus on you know maybe lessening the intensity and just focusing on things that are just really building our bodies up as opposed to tearing it down. Welcome to the Bar Bend Podcast, where we talk to the smartest athletes, coaches, and minds from around the world of strength. I'm your host, David Thomas Tao, and this podcast is presented by barbend.com. Today, I'm talking to trainer Jay Marinak, a personal trainer, kickboxing instructor, CrossFit trainer, and athlete who's built a massive following based around functional training and workouts. What skyrocketed Jay to internet fame is his creative take on movements and workouts to keep things fun and clients engaged. But there's a lot to his history in fitness I wanted to dig deeper on. We talk about pros and cons about the current stage of fitness, including a shift to virtual training worldwide, and how Jay's diagnosis as a type 1 diabetic further fueled his passion for wellness. Also, I want to take a second to say we're incredibly thankful that you listen to this podcast. So if you haven't already, be sure to leave a rating and review of the Barbend podcast in your app of choice. I'd also recommend subscribing to the Barbend newsletter to stay up to date on all things strength. Just go to barbend.com slash newsletter to become the smartest person in your gym. Now let's get to it. Jay, thanks so much for joining today. Uh, the first question I got to ask is, uh, we're, we're chatting during the age of, of social distancing, and you're someone who, from your social presence online, I can tell, travels quite a bit to gyms all around the world. Uh, how are you holding up having to kind of stay in one place? You know, I got to say, it's actually been kind of revitalizing in a lot of ways. You know, I've been working out in a gym for, you know, 12, 13, 14 years. And so in a lot of ways, I'm actually... I'm feeling really good and I'm actually enjoying being out of the gym and doing just a lot of in-home training using minimal equipment because I was, I'm getting burnt out, man. <laughs> you know, I'm doing this day in and day out. I mean, it's, um, you know, certainly I'm doing it for my own personal fitness, but obviously, you know, I've built a, a brand around, you know, filming training videos and filming workouts and things of that nature. So there's, um, you know, there's a lot of content to be filmed on a daily basis. So it's good to, again, get out of the gym and kind of do some different stuff. Do you have any nagging injuries, tightness you're working on, anything like that? I know a lot of people I've talked to, including myself, in quarantine are, are kind of resting some areas that maybe they weren't giving enough love to. Yeah, you know, one of the most common things I have is elbow tendonitis. So I tend to get golfer's elbow pretty pretty regularly when I'm training you know, a lot of rowing exercises and just grip intensive, you know, pull-ups and that kind of thing. So right now I am nursing some golfer's elbow. It's just such a pain in the ass. It's so difficult to, you know, still work, you know, a lot of our, our pulling muscles without, you know, kind of aggravating the the elbow and the inner elbow. Um, what I find helpful actually has been, I've been doing some, I mean, obviously I've been resting and I've been staying away from pull-ups and and kind of lifting heavy upper body wise, but I've been doing more banded stuff. And just because the the pull and the resistance is different at different points, it actually has been feeling pretty good. And I'm able to do some more pulling things, some more bicep exercises, um, because there's not such a heavy focus on that eccentric. It's more that's just mm -hmm. that top peak, 
contraction. So it's actually been helping the elbow. So <laughs> long story short, uh, yeah, I'm just nursing that and trying to take care of that. But ultimately, you know, the, the way I train these days is, you know, I'm just so much smarter than I used to be. Obviously, it's taken me a long time to get to this point of having tons of injuries over the years and nagging injuries. But I'm at a place now where I'm pretty, I'm pretty solid most of the time. I've also been uh, nursing some soreness in the elbow. And I have to say, the banded work has been something where getting away from the gym and being forced to work out from home, you know, I never put two and two together. The banded work's been fantastic to actually work those pulling muscles. Sure. And I warm up with bands a lot, right? And yeah. I warm up with bands because it makes my, it makes, helps my elbows feel good, it helps my joints feel good. But then I'll immediately move to the heavy weights or the pull-up bar or something like that. I've never put two and two together. It's like, wait, maybe if I just focus on what actually has my joints feeling good for a little bit, maybe maybe that's a way to get in front of the inflammation a little bit. It's almost like, wow, it was right in front of me the whole time. (laughs) I know. It's really – it's amazing, man. Especially if you're an athlete, it's so difficult to remove the ego, so to speak, and – you know, take care of ourselves and focus on, you know, maybe lessening the intensity and just focusing on things that are just really building our bodies up as opposed to tearing it down. You know, I know for me, like a classic example and and a beautiful thing about different rowing techniques, like one of the best ways to, I have found to still work the back as far as body weight exercises go with pulling is to just do horizontal rows or body weight rows. That is, it takes a tremendous amount of pressure off of the elbow and you're still able to work the muscles. I mean, the horizontal row is a very underestimated exercise and should be utilized way more. So if anyone's out there listening and you feel like you're constantly having issues, elbow tendonitis, that kind of thing, switch over to the horizontal row, take some pressure off that elbow joint and see how you feel. Great advice. I, I, I want to move on and cover a lot of different topics during this conversation. But since we're on the topic of working out at home or, or being stuck away from the gym, what are some other go-to movements, adaptations, or training methodologies you've been utilizing during this time? I mean, ultimately, I've just been trying to utilize different tensions and tempos to get the most out of, you know, more specifically body weight training. You know, I think people, you know, I feel like people that aren't super schooled in fitness and in training and understanding, you know, how to really build muscle and, and kind of stimulate muscle growth, you know, tend to not know what to do with bodyweight training and how to really maximize it. And one of the things I'm just a huge proponent of is obviously time under tension. If we're going to, if we're trying to build muscle in general, there needs to be time under tension, you know, or else it's it's not going to happen. Then we start to fall into you know, the strength realm, which is fine. But if we're looking to build actual muscle, time under tension is the name of the game. And it's with body weight training, it's slowing things down, building in pauses, uh, using plyometrics. So I tend to use all three of those things, pauses, slow tempos, like four to five second eccentrics and plyometrics to just to create a ton of tension in the muscle and still deliver great gains. Like uh, I tell people all the time, you know, using your body weight obviously doesn't elicit the exact same results as it would if we were, you know, lifting heavy for 12 or 10 to 12 reps. However, the pump that you get, if you do the proper workouts, again, time under tension, pauses, the pump that you get is, is very, very similar to that of lifting. So, you know, we might not be getting exactly the same results, but it's going to feel like we are. And it's just really important when we're only using our body weight and minimal equipment. 
Yeah, and it also keeps you in the, in the mental focus, in the mental game of training, right? One of the things, one of the most biggest issues I have when I take time off of training is getting that mental focus back and that motivation back to get back and actually train with intensity and purpose once again. So treating these at-home workouts like actual training sessions, even if the stimulus isn't quite the same, I mean, that's got to have a, an important mental carryover that when we get back to the gym, we're really going to appreciate. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's definitely going to, I think it's going to change people's perspective a lot on training. I mean, I think this is going to, I don't know about you, David, but I feel like this is going to last for quite some time where we're, you know, not in gyms and, and staying away from big groups of people. I mean, it's it's such a crazy situation out there. And I know for myself, I'm going to definitely stay be staying out of the gym for a while um, and just kind of maximizing the equipment I have at home until, you know, there's really, you know, some kind of, you know, treatment in place for, for COVID or some kind of vaccine because uh, it's just kind of the last place. I mean, unfortunately, I hate saying this, but it's kind of the last place or one of the last places I want to be is in a you know gym with 30 other sweaty ass people, <laughs> you know, getting after it. So. It, yeah, it's it's definitely not easy to keep that that kind of strict six feet of distance. Um, you know, people in gyms tend not to be wearing masks. <laughs> it's yeah, yeah. I mean, I definitely understand. One thing I want to chat about a little bit. It's something that's very prominent in your personal brand and online. You are a type one diabetic. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about how that impacts your your training and how it has impacted your approach to fitness and your growth in the fitness space uh, over the course of your lifetime. Yeah, I mean, it's a difficult thing to work with, especially when you're someone who works out a lot. So, I mean, let's say my life was really textbook um, as far as, you know, I woke up, I ate this meal, I had a snack, I ate lunch, I had dinner, so on and so forth. Diabetes can be, or type one can be fairly easy to manage if I'm just kind of doing the same exact thing every single day, not really having a ton of fitness mixed in. Um, but because I'm someone who works out a lot, you know, there are effects on the blood sugars from being someone that's really highly active. And sometimes the effects to my body are it spikes my blood sugars really high. Sometimes it drops them out and I go really, really low. And, you know, what happens with type one is that sometimes I don't know what, what thing is going to happen. Um, some, some things are, are kind of textbook, but the thing with type one is that it just does what it wants to do sometimes. And so, you know, it's, it's a pain in the ass and there's a lot of checking, you know, I got to check before my workout. I have to check during my workout. Generally I have to check right after the workout. Um, there's a lot of things that factor in and, um, you know, I got to say it's definitely having type one in, in so many ways has just heightened my awareness of you know how I feel during training um, you know, how I'm fueling my body before I work out. And so it's really, you know, as much as it's kind of a negative thing in, in a lot of ways, it's, it's really, I mean, I was already pretty dialed in before I was diagnosed with type one, hmm. but, but now I'm just, you know, even more so dialed in and have, you know, a pretty strict schedule day to day. Yeah. So I didn't realize you were, you were diagnosed with type one a little later in life. Yeah, I was very fortunate. You know, I was diagnosed when I was 28, so about seven years ago, I was diagnosed, and uh, yeah, I'm very fortunate to have gotten it late in life. You know, I didn't have to 
go through a lot of the trials and tribulations, you know, being a young kid having it. So I'm, I'm very lucky. So did that immediately, what were some of the immediate changes you had to make? Because you were already an active person. You were already kind of in the wellness yeah. and fitness space. You were already lifting, running, do, doing all that fun stuff. What were some of the immediate changes that, that you had to make? And where were some places that you turned for, for, for guidance? Because it does sound like it's a very uh, a tricky and complex condition to manage the more active you are. Yeah. So one of the first things my mom said to me when I was in the the ICU, when I was first diagnosed, she said to me, listen, you're not going to want to hear this, but you are the best person to have type 1 diabetes. And she's absolutely right. And what she meant by that is here I was, you know, I was a grown ass man. And I've been a personal trainer for a long time. Uh, I've been sober for a long time. I've already, you know, been on a good, you know, diet and, and eating regimen for, for years and years and years. So the transition for me to having type one diabetes was was fairly um, very minimal. I mean, there's certainly a lot of things I had to learn and relearn about my body, but as far as you know, health and taking care of my health, that was pretty easy. And so, you know, coming in um, to having type one, I was very nervous to work out for about a month and a half to two months. I didn't really do a lot of training because, again, there's a lot of relearning your body. I didn't know. I didn't know if I was going low. I didn't know if I was going high. I didn't know what any of those things really felt like. So what has to happen in the first few months, you have to just learn about yourself. So yeah, there was definitely a big learning curve with that stuff. You know, learning what kinds of exercise spike my blood sugars, what kind drop, you know. Also, there's different effects on my blood sugar depending on what time I work out during the day. Uh, so there was just a lot of different, there's a lot, like you said, there's a lot of different factors that play in. And so there's just, it just takes time to learn it all. And, you know, there's, there's not just one blueprint for every diabetic, you know, each yeah. person can be a little bit different with different things. So, you know, I get I asked the question often by type ones, like, Oh, how do you manage your blood sugars? Like, what do you do? You know? And I, I tend to not give, you know, detailed answers because, you know, I try to just inform people that, it's like you got to kind of like I know they don't want to hear that they want the answer, but you know so you have to just experience it on your own and learn about yourself and figure it out. Well, people people like having the answer. They like the exactly. training program that's going to get them the result that that magical result. You know what I mean? Yep. And they want they want the protocol, and they look to people in the wellness industry oftentimes for that textbook. Do this A, B, and C. Do these three supersets. And that's your yeah. training program, right? Do these three things, and that's how you manage your blood sugar. But of course, it's it's different with everyone. Yeah, absolutely. Everyone's looking for the secret, you know. <laughs> well, being a type one diabetic, managing your your training uh, and your your blood sugar over the course of you know a, a busy and sometimes unpredictable schedule, I assume that means you have to be pretty data oriented based on what readings you're getting from your blood sugar, correct? Yeah, so I'm I'm monitoring a lot. So I monitor a lot more than probably most diabetics. I probably mm -hmm. check eight to ten times a day. Mm -hmm. um, you know, some days it can vary, just to you know, depending on. So some days I have a real, a really good idea of where I'm at, depending on how I feel. And then there's other days where I'm just not sure. I'm just not sure. I'm just feeling a little bit off and just not certain where I'm at numbers wise. So I'm just constantly checking all the time. 
Has that focus on on data and, and kind of getting the raw numbers from your body, so to speak, has that carried over to into your approach on any sort of other components of of wellness, whether it's tracking your sleep, uh, your HRV, any anything like that? Yeah, you know, for sure. I, I don't, you know, I'm not crazy, crazy with numbers. I mean, I'm certainly I definitely focus on them and I need to know them um, a lot of times so that I can manage my sugars as best as possible. So what also happens with being a type one is that I need different amounts of insulin at different times of the day. So I have to, you know, have, I need to have the data 20, you know, the 24 hour data so that I can program my insulin pump to do different things. So there's definitely um, a lot of interesting things that happen with the body. Like there's this, this upon awakening effect where blood sugars tend to spike um, you know, between, you know, two and 5 AM. And, uh, so there's all these, these different things that I had no idea about that I've you know had to learn about and had to adjust my life to kind of facilitate these things that happen with the body. So moving back toward kind of the, the general fitness realm, um, and I, I almost hate to bring this up at a time when we can't really travel around, when we're not going to different gyms and interacting with different people in the space, but you are someone who does a lot of those things under normal circumstances. It might be a while till we get back there. Yeah. Where are some, who are some recent people in the fitness industry uh, who you've worked with who either gave you new knowledge, who taught you something, uh, or whose perspective kind of changed your outlook on training? Yeah, the most most recent is my buddy, Eric Leha, who's a primal soldier on Instagram. Oh yeah, we've, we've, we've had him on the podcast. Oh yeah, oh, cool. Yeah, so he, he's a good friend of mine. Yeah, I met Eric some years ago and yeah, you know, I saw what he was doing a long time ago down at the Onnit gym and I was fortunate enough to to go down to on it and then spend some time down there with him, just shoot some training videos and just, you know, learn a little bit more about kettlebell. So I think, you know, I've been, I've been doing kettlebell work for a number of years, but he definitely, he definitely brings like a really cool flair to it. And I think probably a lot of people feel that way. And yeah, it was cool to go down and train with him. You know, I did, you know, the on it kettlebell certification, you know, I'd done a, I'd done the, um, the CrossFit kettlebell many, many years ago. But uh, yeah, it was cool to do that and just learned a lot from on it, from him, just kind of what he's doing with, with his brand. And, you know, it's, it's amazing how, you know, it's just so important to, to, to break out of our normal routines, meet different people in order to grow. Right. I mean, as far as, you know, our own personal growth and, you know, business wise as well, you know, growing our brands and that kind of thing. So he definitely opened my eyes to just some different things brand-wise, you know, training-wise, and, and things like that. And, and as someone who's done some of Eric's workouts before, I, I have to say, a lot of them are deceptively difficult. Yeah, like yeah. You, like you, you, look at, you look at his post on Instagram, and it's like, oh, like three or four movements. This doesn't seem like too hard of a rep scheme or a time domain. And then you get to like round five out of six, and it kind of starts kicking you in the ass a little bit. So, Absolutely. Um, I, I I assume some time spent training with him in person, you'd be pretty exhausted because he's pretty heavy on the volume. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like that's the way too with with most fitness stuff. Like I can still, I've been training and I've been a trainer for you know fourteen years, and I can still write a workout 
at, at times and be like, oh yeah, that looks easy. <laughs> and then, and then you, you get, you get one round into it and you're like, fuck, why did I do this, man? You know? And so it's, it's funny after all these years, I can still get like that. And I feel like a lot of people, a lot of my clients, you know, felt the same way. And I, I just feel like that kind of applies to a lot of things across the fitness world. Yeah, certainly. Well, I do want to talk a little bit, uh, you know, you are a trainer and you, you do have clients and this is a, a difficult time for people worldwide and, and across industries, obviously, but a lot of people in the fitness industry are suffering. People who train folks in person, obviously we have a lot of digital resources and a lot of people do online training now, but uh, it's certainly something where gyms have taken a hit. A lot of people are wondering if the gyms that are now closed are ever going to reopen and the answer is a lot of them probably won't. Yeah. How... Have you been impacted as a trainer? Obviously, you have a, a significant online uh, brand. It sounds like you do a lot of remote coaching and training as well. How have you been affected? And and what impacts do you think this might have long-term on the broader fitness and specifically personal training industry? Yeah, so I I actually stopped training clients in person probably about a year ago. And I had officially, so I officially made JTM fit um, a corporation, an S Corp, about two and a half years ago. So I really went full time with JTM. I was still kind of training some clients while I was kind of launching the brand and the business. But over time, it just got to be too much. I couldn't handle both. I couldn't create enough content for JTM fit. So I ended up making a decision to let all my clients go for the most part. So I'm pretty fortunate in that regard. Like I have, you know, one or two clients that I still train at their houses. So we've actually, we've actually been doing training via FaceTime, which has been really cool. Um, so yeah, I've been able to keep, you know, one of my clients moving and getting some good workouts in through the whole thing. So my entire business is online at this point. So unfortunately too, you know, even though all my stuff is online, you know, you know, I've definitely had probably like a 40% to 50% drop in business since things have happened. Although I'm still one of the fortunate ones where there's still, you know, a little bit of revenue coming in, which is good. But uh, yeah, we've taken a, a major hit to the business. And as far as gyms go, this is going to be, this is going to be really bad for a lot of gyms, you know, even like putting aside, even like a CrossFit gym, you start looking at, uh, you know, more of the franchise places like, Rumble Boxing, uh, Orange Theory, you know, these kind of places I imagine are going to be completely annihilated by this. Um, I hate to say it, but it's like, who's going to want, I mean, the last thing I would want to do, I know I already kind of mentioned this in the beginning, but the last thing I would want to do is go into an Orange Theory class. I mean, hate to, hate to use their name, but any fitness class, you know, with 30 other sweaty people where there's you know, sweat on the, you know, who knows if someone cleaned that thing over the, you know what I mean? So I feel like this is going to have a really, really major effect. And I think a lot of people are going to be shifting if they haven't already to getting, you know, some dumbbells for home, kettlebells, smaller pieces of home equipment, you know, and I think that the, the companies selling, you know, selling equipment uh, potentially could, <laughs> could see a big, big boom, um, in some ways, I'm sure in some ways they'll be hurt as well. But uh, so, yeah, it's, it's going to, there's going to be a long lasting effect here. I mean, if you try to buy, we're recording this on a, on April 14th, 2020. And if you try and find a kettlebell or a dumbbell online right now, I know good. You might be able to find some used ones on like eBay for a huge markup, but good luck 
to you. If you didn't already have that, places are just sold out for, for months. Know. It's crazy, man. It's like it's everything is sold out. Like you can't you still can't I still have not seen a bottle of pure well or a Lysol wipe in a month and a half, you know, and it's like you know, who knows when we're gonna see all these things, you know, dumbbells, all this stuff. Like who knows what's gonna happen? It's so crazy. It's interesting because I my thinking was a little off because when we went into this and I and people started buying home fitness equipment, I wondered, I said, are there is there are there going to be, you know, more kettlebells sold to individuals than to gyms? Because gyms buy a lot of kettlebells. You open a gym, yeah. you buy a lot of kettlebells, right? But you know, you might have 30 kettlebells and 300 clients using those kettlebells coming in for classes, right? That's a lot fewer than if 300 individual people want to buy individual kettlebells or sets of kettlebells, right? So the demand for this fitness equipment actually has gone up, even though the large institutional buyers like the gyms aren't buying it, right? Because that equipment just isn't shared. The numbers are kind of interesting if you you dig further into it. What are uh, some some pieces of equipment you might have at home that you've been leaning on? Or if you don't have a piece of equipment that you really want or love or like, you know, what have you been using to work around that? Yeah, so I've been really fortunate. I've been I've been putting a little home gym together for for a long time, you know, picking up a kettlebell here, you know, a kettlebell there. And so I, I have a fair amount of things. I have a lot of kettlebells. I have, you know, some parallettes and um, battle ropes and, and things like that. Um, but yeah, you know, as far as, you know, if I were somebody out there right now, I feel like an important piece is obviously trying to get one pair of dumbbells and it would have to be like a medium weight. So something that's not too heavy for you, but not too light, something right in the middle. I'd have tried to invest in that. I'd probably try to invest in, you know, a kettlebell, again, a medium to, to probably heavier weight and, you know, maybe some bands. That's probably, I feel like the top three things, you know, as far as minimal equipment. Um, I know bands are probably a uh, huge, huge selling item right now. I know a lot of people are utilizing bands and a lot of people are are posting a lot of fitness content using bands. So, um, yeah, and beyond that, you know, you got to get creative. There's so many ways to to use different things, you know, around the house. Like you could, you know, most people have a backpack, you know, take a bunch of books and magazines, throw them in the backpack and you got yourself a fucking back squat. <laughs> you got You got some good resistance there. So there's, you know, you can use towels on your hands to do different sliding, you know, mm-hmm. core and push-up exercises, hamstring exercises. There's a lot of different things. So we got to certainly get creative, get on the, get on the web and, or Instagram or whatever and, and, and seek it out and, and get after it. One thing I have to say is I see folks complaining. And look, I've, I've been complaining too, right? I miss the gym. I'm not going to say that I've gone into this and been like, I'm completely fine. No, I miss the gym. I miss lifting heavy. But if you don't already have a perfect push-up and a perfect body weight squat and a perfect body weight lunge and a perfect glute bridge and hollow rocks for days, there's no excuse not to come out of this without those things. (laughs) (laughs) I totally agree, man. This is, this is the time, you know, I know it's hard to get motivated. Like I know for myself, the first couple of weeks I like really struggled. I was, I was depressed and I was just having a really hard time working out. I didn't want to work out. And, you know, when I finally hit my stride and got back into things, it's like, yeah, I'm like, I'm even, even a little more fired up than I was before. Like I kind of touched on throughout the, uh, throughout our talk, 
And yeah, th- like this is the time, you know, I, I mean, certainly some people are still, are still busy. Um, some people are still working for sure, but there's a lot of us that aren't working. It's like, man, devote some time to really, yeah. Like you said, you know, mastering different techniques, um, you know, just like getting fit, you know, um, this, this is the time to do it. Jay, last question I'm going to ask, and this is kind of a, for some people, it's a softball question. And for some people, it's the hardest question that I, I could possibly ask. So I'm curious what it's going to be. <laughs> if you could spend time training with and learning from one person in the fitness space, who would it be? Ooh, man. I don't think I, I don't think I really have one. I think, you know, collectively I would want to just have a group of people <laughs> together, man. You know, I think that, you know, if I were to, I can't, I honestly, I can't think of somebody, but if I were, it would be somebody who's, um, you know, working all facets of fitness, you know, it's something I've always looked to, to be the best at everything as opposed to mastering one thing. So wise words, Jay, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, where's the best place for people to keep up to date with the work you're doing? Yeah. People can find me on Instagram at JTM underscore fit. And also you can check out all of my workout programs at www.jtmfit.com. Jay, really appreciate it. David, thanks for the talk, man.